tonight we're going to be talking about the behavioral signs uh, in Timothy. You probably have always read, you know, men would be lovers of self, boastful, proud, all of those uh, descriptions. And we're going to do a bit of a Greek word study to kind of bring out what these words mean in their original language. So it's it's really interesting when you you grasp the entire uh, body of what uh, Paul is telling young Timothy. So let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come in the name of your Son Jesus, Lord, and we just ask that you would be with us during this time of the study of your Word. God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your Word is saying to us today. Lord, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon me as I teach your Word. And upon those that are here to receive, God, we thank you for for those that are here that are so interested, Lord, in the things that you have said thousands of years ago, Lord, that are playing uh, out right before our eyes. God, we just thank you for the ability and the insight to see these things and, Lord, to, to watch these things unfold, Lord, as we're seeing an unfolding of your glory. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this study has came out of countless conversations that I've had with people as well as things that I've thought on my own. And you probably have thought some of these things as well. Uh, basically, do you notice it's harder to live out the gospel today? Not just from surrounding, uh, but just from inwardly. You know, literally, it's like it's a, a grind to, you know, to walk out the gospel with so much that is going on, uh, you know, people will say things like, I feel like I'm in a fog, or I feel like I'm seeing things and nobody around me is seeing the same things that I'm seeing, uh, or people are shocked by the way people are acting that didn't used to act a certain way, uh, that they know, that they knew them, or such a mass falling away from the faith. People that you were going to church with are now unbelievers or, or they're into some other spiritual belief system that is not even uh, doesn't even look like the gospel. Tonight, I want to look at Paul's letter to Timothy. Particularly, we're going to be in the third chapter, and we'll see the behavior that Paul warns young Timothy about, and we'll see this as individual behavior as well as what we would see on a mass scale. And we see that we've talked about this multiple times that deception is like is on a mass scale. It's like a comforter on a blanket that just wants to keep you uh, sleeping or keep you so numb to where you start to think, man, maybe the way I believe isn't right. Maybe I do need a shift on some of the cultural changes that I'm seeing. And tonight we'll see how to counteract it in our own life. Uh, it's, and it's, it's also easy to say out there, people are this way. But challenge yourself, am I seeing this in me? You know, instead of saying, oh, the problem with the church is this and this. Well, we are the church. So the problem a lot of times is with us and our interactions with our fellow man, right? And so we're going to let the Bible speak and kind of clarify what it's saying. And the greatest endeavor that you and I will ever engage in is the study of God's word. There's nothing greater on this earth than understanding God's word and how it applies to our life. To give you some backstory to what was happening 
in the life of Timothy. He was the pastor at the church of Ephesus, and he needed encouragement. In between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, things had drastically gotten worse. And we see a drastic change from the church from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Look from the 90s until now, right? A a mass changing of what we uh, see over, over television or what we see fellow Christians saying and doing and thinking, right? So he was being confronted with fear. Timothy was being confronted with fear. There was persecution that was happening in Rome, and Ephesus was one of the four large cities of that area, and it began to come into Timothy's area of, of influence. And so it made Timothy fearful, and it made many in the church start to shrink back. So Timothy was full of anxiety. He was worried about the government. The Roman Empire was massive. It was it was at the forefront of the greatest persecution towards the end of the Emperor Nero's reign. Now Nero was uh, was uh, in the midst of conspiracy, scandal, and deception, and it had engulfed him Nero in in power, lust for power. So much that he began to burn the city around him in Rome. And what he was doing simultaneously was he was erecting statues of himself. So he was trying to burn Rome and he was trying to create an empire for himself. And he began to look guilty and rumors began to spread around that he was the one doing this. And then to make matters worse, there was possibilities of trials and accusations that were being brought against him. So he began to blame Christians. Now, he used deceptive arguments, and this is what he would say. Rumors spread that the Christians were disruptionists, that they were talking about a kingdom that was going to invade Rome, talking about the kingdom of God. And then he began to say things about communion. Look, these are cannibals. Their their leader told them to eat his body and drink his blood, right? So it was easy for people of that day to say, yeah, I've heard of that. Is that what they're really saying? And rumors you know, such as what Peter would say, that God was going to destroy the world by fire. That's coming after the millennial reign. So with these fires, it was able to say, well, man, maybe these people are trying to self-fulfill these prophecies, right? So with these narratives, Christians became, be, began to get worried, and, and then Rome began to turn on the Christians. They were misunderstood, right? Kind of like we are today, right? We're considered the enemy, believe it or not. But the church was living in a somewhat peaceful state of tolerance between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And that's why I wanted to lay the groundwork for you. Because persecution has a way of bringing to the surface what we truly believe. And so the greatest thing that really can happen to the church in the near future is more persecution. Right? Because that's where the wheat and the tares will begin to show up. Right? But when persecution comes... That's where the move of God comes. That's where anytime you see throughout church history, when the church was pinched or backed into a corner, that's where people dug in and believed and God showed up. So some would leave the church in Timothy's day. And as he was pastoring the church at Ephesus, people started scattering. uh, scattering. So Timothy saw the struggle inside the church. Because he began, he began to get fearful. And so Paul would write his young protege not to be fearful. 
And then Paul also knew that these things were happening in the world around him. And he said, basically, he was showing Timothy, if you're seeing this in the world, you will see it in the church because people in the world come to the church. But we know that it says in the last days, right? The last days started in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. That was the last days. We're still living in the last days. If that is the... We're coming up to the closing closing of the church age or the age of grace. And that will conclude the rapture of the church. But when Peter sees the Holy Spirit poured out in Acts, notice he quotes Joel. Remember we talked about Joel, about the blood, fires, and pillars of smoke. So that is literally, that verse is over a period of a thousand years, two, two thousand years, because we talked about the sun being darkened and the moon turned to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. The great and terrible day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period. It's a time period from the rapture through the tribulation, the millennial reign, all the way through into eternity. That This is what the, the day of the Lord is. So I want you to see that we're talking about a time period. So this is the verses we're going to be talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Does anybody have any questions so far? Okay. But realize this in the last days. Difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, Although they have denied its power, then he says, avoid such men as these. So the first thing is, he says, know this when. This is, this is the time period. But realize this in the last days. It means this is coming and you can't pray and fast it away, right? This is what life looks like and has always looked like, but it's on hyperspeed now. The time frame is at the very end of the end. The progression, if you read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, it says, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse. You see what I'm saying? So it's there, but it's, it's on hyperspeed. This has always happened, Paul is saying. And the last days in the Greek was talking about, back in, back in those days, there was a seaport that was around this area. So basically, it's telling you, when you get to the very last of the last Ports, when you cannot go anymore is what Paul is talking about as the time period. So in other words, this is also where we get the word eschatology. The, the, the study of end time events is es, eschatological studying, which is the end of the end. Now the times that we live in seem draining, right? Aren't, let me just ask you a question. Are you always tired? Okay, yeah. I, I'm always tired. I wake up tired, go to bed tired, you know, and I was talking to Pastor Todd about this a while back and when I first came on staff and he said, you, you're going to be tired all the time. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, he, he knows and, and I, I see it. And now then we tend to look at our diets. We tend to look at maybe it's a vitamin deficiency, but maybe it's just spiritual. We're living in difficult times. What What this means is you're standing surra- surrounded by difficulty on every side. In other words, in politics, in uh, family, on the job, 
It's as if you're standing and there's difficulty on every side spiritually. Do you ever notice how you try to escape and you watch entertainment, you watch sports, and you, you, you see people preaching to you? You put it on the news, people are preaching to you. You watch movies and actors, they're preaching to you. Everybody has a philosophy or a way that they think you should go, right? You cannot escape. Even when you try to go on vacation, now there's all these mandates. You can't go here. You got to do that. Everything, nothing is the same. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The Bible says that. So let's look at the characteristics of people in these days. It says selfishness. 2 Timothy 3 verse 2. For men will be lovers of self and lovers of money. Now remember, the gospel teaches us that we must deny ourselves. And it doesn't mean that we deny ourselves and we be miserable people. It's just we live with the kingdom of God first. In other words, everything that we, we do, we keep our eyes focused on the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. But now we're surrounded in a me, myself, and I generation. From YouTube, back in the day it was MySpace, right? <laughs> everything is me, my, it's about me. If it's my truth, it's my entitlement. If it feels good, do it. Uh, how dare somebody make you feel guilty for feeling how you feel? And that's a good thing sometimes, but sometimes it's like people minimize what it is that you're feeling or what you're going through, right? So it's, a, it's re really what it is. It's a preoccup preoccupying of self. In the Greek, it's self-kissing is what it means. <laughs> It's a self-infatuation with me. It's it really that's what it means in the Greek. It means phileo autoi autoi. I don't know how to say it, but that's how it is. That's why I'm not going to tell you these Greek words because I'm going to butcher them. But I'm going to tell you this is the meanings behind it. But it's a self-kissing, meaning autoi is myself. Self-kiss is what it means. So it's the I am generation versus the I am generation. Right. It's a complete battle of who who has the supremacy of their own life. And the natural progression from self-love, because remember, Judas gave Jesus a kiss. That's where that word comes from. This is the only time uh, phileo atoy is used in the entire Bible. So it's a self kiss It's to kiss yourself, love yourself. You're the greatest thing ever. It's to look at yourself in the mirror in the mirror and just bask in all of your glory. <laughs> and then the natural progression is the love of money. Because when you look at that, you, you fund what you love, right? Materialism is rampant in society like never before. Like one has said, so many people spend their health gaining wealth, and then they spend their wealth to regain their health. <laughs> you know? Then the next one is circumstantial ethics, which is 2 Timothy 3, verse 2, Boastful, arrogant revilers. Now in the Greek, boastful means to stretch the truth or to make fit or to leave aspects out. That's what it means. It's related to the self-principle or self-motivation-driven -motiva living, uh, ill-gotten gain, your own ethics, situational ethics. It's exaggerating the truth from the size fish you caught all the way into business and politics. It fills that whole gap. It's a wide range. Truth changes, if you notice, from channel to channel, right? 
It, I mean, it's just, this is the truth. This is it. We have sources. This is what it's. And then next thing you know, those sources are bunk. It's not true. You know, do what you want with that. A removal of moral and absolute truth. People will change their moral positions and spiritual positions based on people or circumstances or party affiliation or groups of people. Then it says arrogant or proud. It comes from two words, Hooper and Thanos, and it means above and manifested. This is what it means. When you think of yourself as better and you look down upon people. We have a society that looks down upon people if you don't believe what they believe. In other words, when it comes to moral absolutes, they're looking at the Bible-believing Christian as the, the idiot, as the foolish one, as the non-progressive. Because these people have evolved intellectually, spiritually, and morally, right? That's why we need to not think of ourselves higher than what the Bible says, right? Because remember, the, the Bible is considered uh, out, outdated and irrelevant, non, non-changing towards cultural shifts. Narrow-minded. Well, that is true. We are narrow-minded. The Bible says we go through a narrow way and we walk, we walk through a narrow gate to, to go in a narrow way. We don't walk through a narrow gate and walk on a broad way. Right? Or we shouldn't. Then it says revilers are blasphemers. These are people that blaspheme God, but also it's a widespread use of filthy language. Abusive, rude, coarse, derogatory language would be widespread and normal. And you see, yeah, <laughs> and you see it a lot on television, right? You remember when you used to watch like uh, the old TV shows, and they would say certain things, or remember I Love Lucy, they slept in separate beds, right? <laughs> and now look at what you see. I mean, they're using every word but the F word, and sometimes they slip that in on network television. It's it's just becoming normal, you know. Just it is what it is now. It's a freedom of expression. It's a you know all these things that people. Once again, we're not the smart ones. They are the smart ones. Then family and family and civil disintegration of values. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2, 2 through 4, it says, Disobedient to parents. Let me take this off. I'm getting hot. Y'all don't mind. I'm going to start sweating again. No, I'm good. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We have it on like 63 or something too. 64. Yeah. But remember, it's like we in the end times. No air, no AC if you didn't get the mark of the beast. <laughs> Alright. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, Reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. So disobedient to parents is meaning that kids will seem out of control. Do you see that? I'm just asking. Y'all probably have kids. And they seem out of control. In the Greek, it means unpersuadable or uncontrollable. Right? Back in the day, you could give them a toy and they'll go along. Right? Nowadays, no, I need toy. I need you to invest. (laughs) We'll go or, you know, I'll go to Mama's house if we can do this. Like the kids now have sometimes the bargaining chips. Yeah. 
But parental neglect is producing a generation of people that are following the same path that we spoke about earlier with their own philosophies. And when you go to school, sometimes you're teaching different absolutes than the moral absolutes. And then you begin to buy in to these thought processes at an early age is what happens. So then a child grows up thinking that they're smarter than you. I mean, we already thought we were smarter than our parents in the 80s. Right in the seventies and sixties and fifties and forties and thirties. No, yeah. But you can. Adrian Rogers said you can't tell kids that they come from animals and get mad when they act like them. I think that's pretty true. Then it says ungrateful or unthankful. It shows a time where people will feel entitled to what they have. We'll live in a society of people that feel they're owed privileges. Narcissism is a good picture of people who feel entitled. If they do something for you, it's because they're going to get something in return or because it makes them look good. And it comes from a sense of entitlement. And the ultimate sin of that is when you see it in ministry. When people try to build their kingdom on top of the kingdom of God. Right? And you've probably seen that with TV ministries in the past and they failed to ruin. Unholy, being ungrateful to God, will bring unholiness because it's choosing not to acknowledge God for what He has done and what He's allowed to happen in our lives. It's also a time where everything that was deemed as holy is now looked at as it doesn't matter. It's not even sanctified. Look at marriage and the sanctity of life, right? And it also can be translated... When I say that, you'll see in different translations, they use these words interchangeably. Lewd, filthy, nasty. And this verse, it sums it up. In Romans 1.21, it says, Because when they knew and recognized Him as God, they did not honor Him or glorify Him as God or give Him thanks. But instead, they became futile and godless in their thinking, with vain imaginings, foolish reasoning, and stupid speculations. Their senseless minds were darkened. Now, this word knew is not the word for when Mary knew not Joseph. It's an intimate word. This word is an acquaintance or a head knowledge. In other words, there was a society, there is a society, that had at least ran under an, an, an assumption that there was God. Remember, there was still that, even though if you wasn't a believer, there was a reverence, there was a respect, there was... You don't do this, you, you behave in church, you don't say certain things in church, all of these different things. So it was a society that had a general knowledge of God, or a God-fearing attitude, and now they've lost the acknowledgement of God. It doesn't even matter that He exists. It doesn't even matter that He's worth more than every person on planet Earth. You know, people ask, ask the question, how could one man's act on the cross take away a multitude of people's sin. But because that one man was so more valuable than everybody on the face of the earth. That's that's why. And through one man came the fall, which is an Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. So just like one man transfers us into the dominion of sin, one man, when we put our faith in him, takes us out of that dominion of sin. So, and we've seen that just just in the removal of God from school, right? Just just that one alone, you you can see that everything 
just went out the window. And then it says vain imaginations. The Amplified spells it out perfectly. It's a ruined thinking process. It's where you make decisions, the frontal lobe. That's why it says your conscience is seared with a, a, brand, a, a hot iron. It's, in other words, the place where you make decision is, decisions is so seared that you can't even make the right decisions. That's the society that we're living in. And you see this, you see this over talk, talk news. You ever see somebody, they, they present points, they'll have one side on this side, the other side on this side, and the person will begin to explain their position and they just are out to lunch from the beginning of the statement. And then instead of trying to defend the statement, they just go on a rabbit trail and eventually just start to assault verbally. That's the perfect picture of a vain imagination. We don't even know why we're saying this or believe this. This is just what I think and you're stupid. That's what it means, stupid speculations. Then it says unloving. means also... Some translations say without natural affection. In the Greek, it's towards kindred or family. So it's saying without natural love for family, spouses, kids, etc. In the Greek, it's the word storgos. But in this, it's astorgos. A, and the, the word a in the Greek cancels out the word. That's how it's against it, is basically what it's saying. In other words, storgos is family, uh, family devotion. And when there's an A in front of it, it cancels it out, meaning no family devotion. So it's it's an easy give up mentality. It's not fighting for your kids. It's not fighting for your marriage. It's just giving your kids up, you know, just turning them loose. Irreconcilable differences. I just don't want to be with this person anymore. So I'm just going to circle this box and I want out. That's basically what that means. In the United States, approximately 500 children a year are murdered by their own parents. And that's not considering the 60 million abortions since 1973. I was looking today with abortions worldwide, the numbers, over the last 40 years from 1980 to 2020, it's estimated worldwide 2 billion abortions carried out globally. It also means untrustworthy, unmerciful. This can be seen on every aspect of life. How many of are unmerciful to family members? Right? Think about that. Unmerciful. Ain't so-and-so did this, sister so-and-so. I'm done with them. I'm done. I haven't talked to them in years. It's easier to fall into that category nowadays because now our, 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 our just the weight of everything is pushing and sucking the love out of us, sucking the, the ability to persevere and make things right. Conviction and all these different things play a huge factor in our abilities to be this way. Irreconcilable or truce breakers. In the Greek, it talks about people that are Ill, easily break treaties or covenant or in the context, it could be easily divorced. It can be family disputes over written wills land, houses, uh, family heirlooms. It also means business contracts. You see this a lot in the NBA, right? They sign these long-term deals and they're like, you know, I'm out. And they don't fulfill their contract and they have to get bought out and all these things. It's just easily, uh, if I don't like my teammates, if I don't like a situation, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out. Not to speak ill of the NBA, but I'm just saying I, I watch basketball quite a bit, but I see that quite a bit. Then malicious gossips. False accusers and slanderers. In the Greek, it's the word diabloi, which guess where we get the word the devil. 
Yeah, it'll feel like the devil himself is on the earth, right? Nowadays, one accusation brings what? Cancel culture. It is just not even considering social media in the in, in your thread will have judge, jury, and executioner, <laughs> right? We see it in our court systems. That has overwhelmed our legal system. There were 100 million civil lawsuits that are filed annually. That's just civil. America, we have the most costly legal system on this earth. Everybody is sue happy. So you're seeing, amazingly how Paul would say this, and this is what we're seeing. America uh, it, it can be seen, every day we could see something on the news, right? We could see the court systems. We see so many different things. Without self-control or incontinent, this affects every area as well. Living in an out-of-control world like never before. It's the spending of finances, eating, par- partying, relational, just on overdrive. Just complete uh, lack of control. How many of you see that on a daily basis? In the medical, I like this because I like toilet humor sometimes. In the medical profession, it would be considered the loss of uh, bladder or bowels. Just the inability to control yourself. It's the inability to say no. Just You can't tell your, your flesh no. It's just, I got to do what's right for me. I got to do what my flesh wants. And then people bring narcotics into the situation, right? To, to try to deaden what they're dealing with or debt, cause they don't, sometimes it's medical, but sometimes people just don't want to take responsibility. You know, so it, it can be two things. Narcotics is the word in Revelation where it says sorcery. It's the word pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy. So they, they're subscribed, they're uh, prescribed certain things just to deal with the fact, because nowadays you can just go tell a doctor anything, right? Sometimes, which is sad. You can just tell a doctor, oh, I'm just having anxiety, and they'll just load you up with something where you can barely keep your eyes open, right? This also means incontinent is actually the Greek word for power. So it's power out of control. That could be in the realm of government, finances, entertainment. The powerful seem out of control. This also means overindulgence of all sorts. You know, you've heard the term lasciviousness. It's a living in excess, in excess consumption. It's undisciplined in food, sex, and all these other things. In Ezekiel 16, 48 through 50, we hear in Genesis when it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah that God overthrew them because of sexual immorality. But it, Ezekiel gives us another reason why God overthrew Sodom. It says, as I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. Thus, they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. How many of you knew that it wasn't just immorality that God overthrew Sodom, but it was also because they were arrogant, they were abundant in food, in careless ease, and did not help the poor. Think about that. So there was abundance of food, which is overindulgence, and God equates that with perversion. 
believe it or not, that's what it's saying. So the Greek is akaratis, and it's translated as incontinent. It's living and casting off restraint. It's living as if there's no law. It's living as if there's no restraint. If it, feel good, if it feels good, do it. And we see that all the time. Also, it's fiscally with money. Just spin, spin, spin. We see the government <laughs> spin, 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 right? It's food spending, emotions, addictions. All these different things play into this word. Then it says brutal or fierce. It's an uncivilized culture. It's where we get the word savage. And many times the word savage is used as a badge of honor, right? It, but it's violent, cruel, and harsh. A, cu a culture that has become so violent, so savage, so cruel. Every word nowadays it, it, you could see in the street. You could see, I mean, look at the schools. I mean, people beat each other to a, a, a senseless pulp. I mean, people just run up on people and shoot people. I mean, it is just getting worse and worse. It's getting broader and broader. Remember uh, when we saw this with ISIS, with, you know, beheading people. It was all over YouTube and just savage and brutal. And people, or you know, were just just enamored by, by this stuff, just wanting to see everything. This is the same word Jesus ran into when he talked about the demoniac was exceedingly fierce. So just one man was exceedingly fierce, the demoniac of Gadara, and now we're living in a society that is exceedingly fierce, is what is saying, is being said. Are you seeing how this works? Are you seeing this on a daily basis? Remember Lot, he pitched his tent towards Sodom, then the next thing you know, he is living in Sodom. Think about that. Eventually, when you take these things in, your 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 senses become dulled, right? Over time. And it desensitizes you. I saw a statistic that by the time a child is 18, they will have seen 200,000 acts of violence on television and witnessed more than 40,000 simulated murders. Think of that. Video games, that's right. So when we take a steady diet of brutality, eventually it won't bother us anymore. You just you, you see it, you and you probably see this when you're on your newsfeed. You see this, you just keep scrolling, man. It's just oh, I know what that is. That's this or that's that. You know, and you just it, it doesn't even bother us anymore. It creates a numbing effect. Remember, the conscience becomes seared, and it basically makes you a slave. Because remember. When back then, they would brand you on your forehead when you were a slave. So you can, your conscience could be seared with a hot iron, which is a type and shadow of what can happen spiritually. Then it says, haters of good, it's lawlessness. In the Greek, it was a foreign concept because no one, it, it was un, unimaginable that a place of land would not pr protect its own civilians or a lack of love for anything that is moral or good. It's calling good evil and evil good. And that is exactly where we are. Right now, the offender gets more sympathy than the victim. Right? And you've seen that multiple times. If someone breaks into your house, they can sue you because they hurt themselves. Right? And what we talked about this in the, in the message, that Matthew 24 message, about how lawlessness increases and it causes cold love in, in us. Right? We see it in the world, we see it in family, churches, workplace, 
and it has increased over the decades. Matthew 24, 12, it says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So to wax cold is a progression towards a cold heart. It's the numbing effect. And that's why I'm saying, are you sensing that in your own life? That you are getting numb. That you are seeing you didn't have as much compassion as you did a year ago or a couple of years ago. We're just It's just weighing on us. I'm trying to get you to see what's happening in the spirit world and if it's bothering us or if it's not bothering us. Right? We've seen many reasons too. The mishandling of legal issues, offensive rhetoric, racial issues, political correctness, corruptions on all, on all sides. Groups of people, it's caused a major distrust in every realm and it's just getting wider and wider and wider. But also when we give in the sin, right? Eventually we just let it go, let it go and it has a numbing effect and it's not that big of a deal anymore. And you know what we hated at one time, we now like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And then we begin to bend on our own convictions. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm just talking about people that I know. <laughs> but seriously, this is something you go over with yourself, right? When I looked at cold love, uh, it's, it's to the church. That word love is agape. It's the believer. And so that tells me that we as believers who have a God-given love through the power of the Holy Spirit, the world cannot experience agape love because it's a love given by the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't have the Holy Spirit. They have self-love or phileo love or uh, many other types uh, eros love, different types of love. But the Holy Spirit produces the love that God gives us. And if that can grow cold, then the self-love of the world is doomed. Think about it. Then it says, Second uh, uh, Timothy three four it says, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So treacherous or traitors is to sell someone short or being willing to break off a relationship for anything. Just oh, you this would we've been friends forever and this is happening. I'm done with you. How many of you can? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but look at Judas betraying Jesus. That's a perfect example. Or it's to manipulate someone or a group to get ahead. Willing to uh, bowl over somebody for an oath or a profit. It's expendable relationships. It's fair weather friendships. How many of us have experienced that or have done that? Reckless or heady is another word. It's making fast decisions. Once again, the government, right? Think, not thinking long term, but just making rash, in the moment decisions, not even thinking of the consequences. Think about when people are willing to risk their careers for a heat of the moment decision. That's heady or reckless mindsets. Think about in the financial realm. Just go out, wake up one morning, and want to go spend all kind of money. That's being heady or not responsible. It's also people that are easily given over to violence. Back in the day, it was conversation. You just, you know, you'd argue with somebody. Then it, you know, it went to blows. Now it's just shooting, right? Unable to control their tempers. That's reckless and heady, heady-minded. Conceited. It's people who puffed up with pride. 
right? Just think they're the greatest thing ever. They're just grateful that they get to be a benefit to God. Just God, I thank you that you saved me. I'm, I'm, I'm your prize jewel. Thank God I'm saved. Now I can, I can do something in the kingdom of God. Just a high mindset or famous people. Just I'm the greatest thing ever. Self love, all that. Just I'm, I'm, I'm the king. I'm, I'm the best that there ever was. You know, that you hear everything about the goat, right? Just I'm the greatest of all time. Then it says lovers of pleasure. This is hedonism, where it's the love of pleasure in excess. Notice it says uh, the love of pleasure rather than the love of God. In other words, it's not in place of God. It's just you rather pleasure over God. Right. It's it's pleasure at the expense of godliness. Right. They love God. They just rather pleasure. I'll serve God, but I'd rather do this pleasurable thing. You know, just it's before God. Uh, then deception. We talked about deception multiple times. Second Timothy three five, holding to a form of godliness, although they deny its power, avoid such men as these. Now I want to say this. Uh, we've talked about the different forms of deception in the world, in the church. But a form of godliness, it's a little G. It's not the big G for God. So in other words, this is really morality, not godlikeness. It's secular humanism, right? It's their own sense of religious views, right? It's my, this is what I think on the matter. I know what the Bible says, but I think we need to be inclusive. I think we need to be, we need to accept this. This is the right way to think. You Christians are are old school. You, you know, you, you, you're out of touch with reality. Times are changing. We need to change with the times. They, they, they're looking down at you like, I'm, I'm the moral compass here. Not your God, not your book. What I say is, is right. And then they gather their, their people together, right? And then they just belittle and badger and say that we have what we think is morality. But it's denying the, the Holy Spirit. In other words, they have an active role in social issues. They can quote a verse every once in a while out of context. They'll say things like, I'm a Christian, but I believe this. Or me and God have our own thing. Right? They have a, a form of good virtue or a form of morality or, or piety or, uh, or what they deem as righteousness. You've seen this, right? And I'm, I'm talking to people that have seen this, have heard this with your own ears. Some churches stay more on social issues than kingdom issues, right? Yeah. Just making sure that that's not what we do. Now, the list of characteristics we just looked at, combined with the society as itself as a whole, affects the global on a global scale. Matthew 24 verses 3 through 4. Now he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying. Tell us when all these things will be. And what will be the sign of your coming. And at the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said. Take heed that no man deceive you. Once again. Jesus is saying the number one sign. That he comes out the gate with. They asked him for one sign. And he gives them a multitude of signs. And we talked about that in Matthew. The Matthew 24 sermon. And we also talked about some of that in the first class. Now, there are two common things in the beginning of 2 Timothy 3 as well as Matthew 24. And both are very serious. 
Because in the Greek, it's as if the Holy Spirit, for lack of a better term, word, is he's grabbing them by the face and saying, listen to me and listen to me carefully. I'm going to tell you exactly what you will see. And deception is to morally wander away from truth. It's to move away from safety or virtue. It's somebody that was on a solid path and begins to drift. If you start out driving a ship or a plane and you're off a little bit, by the time you get to your destination, you will completely miss it. It's to deceive or or to be seduced, to wander off. It's people that will wander away from what they built their lives on. Principles and truth and begin to adapt other ways, right? It's mass confusion. In the realm, we see this in society, culture, on the university level, in the medical field, financial, in the church, all these different things. Facts are disregarded and assumptions rule, right? We see that. Morality is mistaken for Christianity, right? If I'm just a moral person, it's a mass exodus away from gospel truth. And the second part of this is many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and will deceive many. So it's deception in the church once again. Now people have always kind of kept a safeguard up. Like we're not going to let some Kool-Aid snake-toting guy in the pulpit to lead people astray, right? (laughs) But Jesus said they will come in my name, which means on the authority of my name. People operating as anointed or the anointing. So people, or so what it's saying is people will come in my name and mislead many. Not everyone who claims to teach about Jesus is from Jesus in the church. We see in the last days demons performing signs and wonders. So, like for instance, if people put all their emphasis on healing, there was stuff, you know, in... Early on, I won't name the name and all that, but he was just healing people, healing people, healing people, teaching disruptive doctrines of devils, doing things behind the scenes that would, you know, was not good. And people can be so gullible to think because this person got healed, that has to be the power of God. Therefore, what they're saying must be right because look at God anointing them. But the devil can put a sickness on you. And take it off to further what the charlatan is selling. (laughs) Because nowadays we just see, oh, it's got to be the Spirit. Look, it has to be God. Look at what happened. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, we that's our standard. That's it has to back the Word of God. So those are the things. That's Satan transforming himself into an angel of light. And that's what causes. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, that's now, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. It says that people will gather for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. So really, you, you, you would read that and you would feel sorry for the, the church member. But really, it's the judgment of God on the church member because they are the ones that are gathering for themselves the teacher. You see, it's not so much just the teacher. If, if the church member knows the Bible and they see something that's heretical. And I'm not saying that's something that's a little off or misunderstood. I'm talking like, hey, I need your wife and we need to make a new kingdom. 
Like the David Koresh thing. Like, I don't know how I can fool so many people once again with Jesus with glasses. You've heard that many times. But, but once again, Paul is not saying that in the last days people won't believe. It's a departure from the faith. And it's a definite article. The faith. So it's not just an all right, I don't believe in God. It's a mixture of, yeah, I believe in God, but I also believe this. I believe this is what the Bible says. It's a methodical pull away from the gospel. It's, it's to air you away. And, and a lot of times it's, it says it's in accordance with their own desires. It's what I want the Bible to say. So I'm going to find somebody that teaches what I want them to teach and therefore that's who I, that's the church I go to. See, that's what it, that's what it is. Uh, it's moral modific- behavior modification, right? It's more water wells and less water of the word, so to speak, right? We see in mo- the moral deception in the world and we also see it creep into the church. Now keep in mind, some of these deceptions are deemed as good things, right? It's uh, social and moral issues. Obviously, you want people to be loved. You want their needs to be met. But if that stays the course, that could become the gospel instead of the byproduct of the gospel. You can hug necks and build water wells, but you have to present the gospel. It's not the good things that we do, right? So the question is, are you measuring deeds instead of convictions, right? Are you, are you looking at the, the good deeds versus the Word of God? Are you looking at the good deeds versus your own convictions of what the Bible says? It's being lured away. It's a gradual departure from the faith. Nowadays, oh, that person was just a good person. They went to heaven. No, you have to be a believer in Christ. Not, you know, so you don't want to use that terminology anymore unless we offend someone. Right? Now, Paul alludes to this in 2 Timothy, and, and Jesus is saying the same thing in Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to read it to you in the Weist Expanded Translation, which was a Greek scholar. Listen to it. We're going to have it here. Sorry. It says, For the time will come when they will not... And this was written in 1961. For the time will come when they will not endure our wholesome doctrine, and that they will hold themselves firmly against it, but dominated by their own personal cravings, they, having ears that desire, desire merely to be gratified, shall gather to themselves an accumulation of teachers. In fact, from some truth, they shall also avert the ear. And as a result, they shall receive a moral twist, which will cause them to believe that which is fictitious. That's the Greek expanded translation. In other words, that's telling you exactly what it means in the Greek. And you can you can find that translation. Uh, it's called the Weiss Expanded Translation. He died in the 60s before he can make the Old Testament, but it's really good. A lot of people, whether you're Baptist, Pentecostal, Charismatic, hang from the ceiling, whatever it is, <laughs> a lot of people look, look to that translation as a reputable translation, and I do as well. So listen, there is motivational, encouraging, social, inspirational talks out there that you got to be careful that you take in, because honestly, some hard preaching is not the gospel, and some soft preaching is not the gospel. 
You see what I mean? People say, oh, that brother preaches hard, but that doesn't mean if they're trying to make it so hard for you to come to Christ, means doesn't mean it's of God. And some people can be so soft and never give the gospel that you're not getting what is needed either. That's why we need to be led by spirit and truth, right? So it's on the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the, the life group leader, etc. in the handling of the right, the rightly dividing the word of truth, but it's also on the member to make sure that they are accurate, accurately hearing the word of truth. It's both responsibilities. In fact, the pastor, teacher, evangelist, apostle, prophet, all of these will get a stricter judgment. So if people are not afraid to stand before God, then they won't be afraid to stand before you. Right? 2 Timothy 3, 6-7. This is following up on verse 5 that we read earlier. It says, For this sort are those who creep into households, make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this means that these people dress in disguise, wrapping themselves in a, in a uh, holy garment, is what it means. Household means residence okay so led captive means by manipulation so i want you to see this and it says silly or gullible women remember this was a different deal back in the day women were not afforded the ability to, to have schooling like the men that's why they had to sit on certain sides and it was a whole different deal and he said you know you have to be silent wait till you get home they were looked down upon in those days because they were not afforded the same education that men had then it says loaded down with sins or laden. It means these women were feeling burdened, overwhelmed, and discouraged by life, which made them targets for manipulation, is what it means. And then it says led away by lust. This is a deep longing of, or that is caused by deficiency, brokenness, or desire to help, which gives an ear to manipulative voices. And think about this. This is so easy today because now with the click of a button, watching the internet, it can creep into your household. So that could be also prophetic as well. Now, what can we do to protect ourselves from keeping our composure in these days that are among us? The fourth point is start with me, meaning us. Life application. Live out and stay true to biblical truth. Second Timothy 3, 14 and 17, 14 through 17, it says, You, however... Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from who you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom and lead salvation. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom and lead to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God Profitable for, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So we, we battle this by living out biblical truth. And here's some examples. It's, it's very simple, really. It starts with obviously knowing God, right? We got to know who God is. When we go through the list of our belief in the Word of God, and it teaches the exact opposite of the behaviors that were listed earlier. We line up. We line up with what God says. To combat the loving of self, we love God and we love our neighbor as ourselves. It's knowing Him more. 
It's how we combat it, right? We seek to put others ahead of ourselves. We, we live a lifestyle of putting the kingdom first. We live a lifestyle of serving people. To not be lovers of money in covetousness, we give and serve. For boasting, instead of boasting, we, we live with integrity and we tell the truth, right? We live our biblical truth that keeps our moral and spiritual standard in the shifting sands of circumstantial and morality shifts. We combat pride by thinking of ourselves not so highly more than we think of others. The Bible says to do that. We keep, we do this by keeping a view of ourselves in the light of Christ, not a view of ourselves in the light of our neighbor. Amen. Like you can, you, you, you a great person next to Charles Manson, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you, you're the cream of the crop. But if you line yourself up with how Christ is, it keeps you on a trajectory of living knowing that, hey, how dare I hold something against someone else when Christ is not holding it against me? That'll help you in your marriage, right? I, how, how dare she do this to me? It's like, well, how dare we did this to Christ 10 minutes ago? But yet we expect forgiveness, right? I'm going to keep going. This isn't a marriage counseling session. We strive to keep our speech holy instead of blasphemous. Our speech is seasoned with salt. It's building up instead of tearing down. For families, we slow down and enjoy them and parent, right? And love and care and show them biblical authority. That's how we get, get, get the, the self out of them, right? We, we're, we stay thankful and never take things for granted. That's how we battle entitlement and unthankfulness. We acknowledge God. That He is the source of our will. That He is the one that gives us every good and thing, every good and righteous thing. We understand that we do not deserve anything from God but wrath and punishment, right? That's the whole reason we come to Christ. Because if we, if Christ didn't take the wrath and punishment, then we have to take it. And so we understand that our right standing with God comes through Christ. And that keeps us humble. That keeps us thankful. We should thank God every single day for our salvation. Number one, that God made a way. And number two, that Jesus died on the cross to take us out of the kingdom of darkness. And the, the thought process produces a sight of God, of holiness, that gives us a desire to live holy and fuel the right passions, right? We combat our natural affection with supernatural healing from past hurts and experiences. And let the gospel expose the dark, hidden places in our lives. In other words, we just stop blaming the way we were raised. And we say, I understand. Listen, sometimes Mama and Papa did not know what they were doing. I mean, they just, they just work. Like, you, you hear, you, I've heard my Papa used to say, oh, you just work. You know, like, no matter what you do, you just work. You just work, work, work. So if that's what the mentality is back then, then the parent grows up thinking that way. At some point, there needs to be a sorrow for the way that they were raised. It's sometime, at some point, we have to just say, well, daddy did this, mama did this, because they didn't understand love. They didn't understand to say I love you. They didn't understand to hug you. So at, at some point, it produces a compassion towards them, which brings healing to that relationship, 
and then it produces a desire not to make those same mistakes, and then we correct it going forward. You know what I mean? So things happen, but it's up to us to get healed and stop blaming. Right? We learn to apply, apply and basically that goes into kind of what, what we believe here is that it helps you to live free. So you know God live free. Once again, it goes with the vision. We learn to apply biblical truth about marriage through counseling in the scriptures. We live out pos- positive examples of marriage in society, right? So when they look to the church, they say, well, this is what marriage should look like. This is how a husband and wife should treat each other. When it comes to slander and gossip and malicious talk, we don't give Satan an avenue into our heart because out of the, the mouth, the ho- out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We rush to confess and forgive each other's faults, right? When fear creeps in, we combat it with truth and we build our faith and we, and we tear down fear. And then we don't operate in fear and don't spread fear. To combat being traitors, right, being a traitor and a relationship destroyer, we practice faithfulness and self-control, right? We learn to keep our commitments. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's true. Like, I, I don't I don't want to overpromise or I don't want to tell you for sure, but I, I'm going to try or but I can't guarantee. And if you guarantee I'll be there, just be there. It boils down to obedience and faith in truth to combat the behavior of today. So when you look at these things, are you more like what Timothy says we not we ought to not be, or are we looking at the fixture of those behavioral attributes? Right? And we live out what God has called us to do by spending every single day operating in the purposes of God. Right? Find our purpose. But for example, a husband's purpose is to live your love your wife as Christ loved the church. The purpose of the wife is to submit to her husband as the commit as committing to the kingdom of God. Now, if both of those are operating as they should be, it's pleasurable. You want to do that. It's when one person checks out and says it's my way, and then there you go. You've seen that once again, not even how it's supposed to be. And then we raise our kids, not as our kids only. But as disciples, we disciple our kids. In other words, I was reading a book by Paul David Tripp, the twelve, I believe it's fourteen principles for godly parenting, and he uses the example of when you're you're a, a, a person is in the, the the line at the register, and the kid is just taking toys and putting it in the basket. And I remember doing that to my mom, and I don't think I've ever done that again. <laughs> After I was real, you know, I remember it was like a little cucumber thing with arms and legs not even a transformer or just right there hanging out by the register and uh and he made a point he said parents will parent from our own law because of what we have on in us you didn't do what i told you to do so therefore you're punished he says if we would parent them from the idea of they self is on the throne and we're trying to get them not to be selfish because we're stewarding them for God and trying to shoot them in a direction for God, we get more mad when they break our rules and inconvenience us, and we need to parent them to give them a fighting chance for God to come in and develop them. So we, they're more bothered by breaking my law. I told you to do this, I told you to do this, and then look at us. We do that in our own self. So in other words, we parent our kid 
as if, well, I don't have a problem with selfishness and I want what I want and all that. That's not me. And if so, I'm an adult. I can do what I want, right? That's what we do. But when you parent a kid and you see the principles, and that's what this book is about, stewarding the godly principles that will come down the road and bite them in their own relationship with God because we're stewarding them towards God, not for ourselves. So when you're raising your kids, you're discipling them to come to God. And that's the best way to parent. So it's it's a phenomenal book. Uh, and in every day of our life, we represent Christ at home, on the streets, at work. It's a, there's a purpose in every season. There's a purpose in everything we go through. We go through some of the worst things. So in that situation, we're trying to find what God is doing and what is He sharing. And then once we understand that, we apply it to our lives. Uh, going back to the book, having, you know, six miscarriages, you know, writing through all of those situations and loss. And, you know, I felt like if I'm going to go through this, I'm going to make use of every experience and teach on how to suffer and suffer godly and right, rightly and, and looking beyond what you're missing and all these things. And, and if that's the whole, the whole reason that this book that I had wrote came out of that, then I did what God wanted me to do in that season. You see what I'm saying? So whatever it is that God is showing you, make use of it. Maybe if it's something dealing with loss, maybe God is trying to show you how to disciple someone who's dealing with loss or any mis misfortune, anything that goes along in, in that capacity, use it to the gospel's advantage. That's how you live for the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and not ourselves. And we make a difference by drawing them to Christ by keeping our behaviors in check. Right? Sometimes the sad thing is we're keeping them from Christ because of how they see us act. Right? We're either a good representation or a bad representation. But I'm afraid these days we look too much like what God is expecting us to change. Right? Think about it. We look too much like the change that we're supposed to be making. In other words, we see the world the way it is and we look too much like it and we don't change what we're not willing to confront. But it's harder today, right? But listen, these people died in the Old Testament. They, they, in the New Testament, they lost their lives. I mean, I've read stories where these, they would throw these children off of, off of cliffs and all that and roll them down cliffs to try to get rid of kids. And these Christians would go down there and raise them. You know, when people were sick, they would get around the sickness and pray for healing and they would get sick and die. And that's what overthrew the culture of Rome when it came to Christianity. They started saying, look at these people. They, they are taking care of the population. They're, ra they're, not, they're raising kids. Instead of us killing them, let's just give them to the Christians. So it, it's phenomenal when you read early church history. Some of the things, it wasn't that they preached a whole lot. It's just they, they were trying to survive in this climate. And they said, we're going to do the things that nobody wants to do. And they eventually won over their, their society. Now, you might be here tonight and have seen some of these things in the areas I mentioned early, earlier, and I want to encourage you to apply the back half of this to yourself. Apply the principles of the Word of God to our own behaviors. Not just look, like, see, honey, I told you, that's why you need to be doing this and that, right? It's no, I need to start with me. Amen. And is the lawlessness that I'm seeing causing me to grow cold? 
Listen, the lost are going to do lost things. The lost don't know how to be anything other than lost. So we should not get so angry when we see lost people doing lost things. In fact, we should be thankful that we don't operate in those things anymore. And we have the Holy Spirit that can guide and lead us and direct us. But nonetheless, Paul is telling us exactly how it would be. How many of you have seen through these verses what you see on a daily basis? I mean, that's just, it just is what it is. You and I are the church and this is where we are. And if we live it out, then we can have a mass uh, uh, impact on what we're seeing and cause things to change. And no matter how dark the world gets, because listen, eventually people that live through and into the tribulation die. And they don't die because they're hugging necks and doing water wells. They're preaching the gospel. And, and people don't like what they're saying. They're standing against the cultural shifts and they're, it's off with their heads. So I don't want us to think, you know, if we go so much into the social realm that if we do everything that, that, you know, we show up for hurricanes, right? Those things are good to do. We send money. We send food. We do all these things. That's not what brings the persecution. Who doesn't want that? It's when the church starts to say, hey, this is wrong. This is not right. That persecution comes. You know, and we're seeing that on a daily basis. You're probably seeing it at work. You're seeing it at your family. You're seeing it, and eventually it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. If you remember the second class that we went through, we showed how all of this stuff eventually culminates. Because eventually there's a guillotine coming for the Christian. You know, it, it just, or whatever it is, I, that's probably what it is, is beheading, uh, which is, I mean, I don't know if you saw that movie back in the day, A Distant Thunder, A Thief in the Night, Image of the Beast. Oh man, that 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 petrified me back in the day. But it was it was it was so good and it stuck with me. And uh, it's from the, it's from the seventies. But man, it was it was so good. I remember my mom and dad was like, "Yeah, let's watch this," and I was like, "Little Catholic boy, like, wait, what? You getting your head cut off? They were living in caves with boils." So, uh, but anyway, does anybody have any questions as we close up? No questions. We, we, uh, in, in, what about any questions from anything that we talked about before? Yeah. Yeah, wokeness or enlightenment, right? Satan is an angel of light. And so it masquerade as, as holy and godly and, uh, doing you know, like, remember, you're the wrong one. You, you, the way you think is ridiculous and stupid. You're stupid. Your, your belief system is stupid. That is what we see today. And that's how it, it would be. See, how many of you, when you read these, these verses, you didn't expect it to look like this? It's almost like we're waiting for it to look differently. No, this is it. The end times is not near. It's here. It's now. It's, here now it gets worse as the tribulation starts you know once we're gone and the and the uh the the peace treaty is signed and all of these things that's what we've been talking about so the first class was talking about the matthew 24 signs then we went through a bunch of different signs with israel the second class 
Last week we talked about Ezekiel, which we can see if you continue to watch the news, I'm telling you, that is about to go full speed ahead with, with Russia and Iran and Turkey and Israel about to bomb Iran and all of these things that are slowly kind of making the news as they pass by and go to something else that is irrelevant compared to what's going on in the world. It's, it's slowly being hidden. But I want to encourage you to, to keep your eyes eyes up. Keep your eyes on Syria. Keep your eyes on Damascus. Keep your eyes on Russia. All these places. Uh, and I'm telling you, you're going to see some things. The Bible says that uh, in Syria or Damascus, it overnight it will become a ruinous heap. So one day you're going to wake up and you're going to say, man, Damascus doesn't even exist anymore. Wow. And we saw that with our own eyes when we were in Israel. Uh, we were standing on the Golan Heights, and uh, I believe it was the Golan Heights, and there was literally, we were videoing, and we could see the, the road to Damascus where Paul was, and there was, to the right, there was a, a mountain, and the, the tour guide told us, he's like, there's, there's Jewish people in there with computers that can see the head of a nickel or the head of a penny right now. He, they see everything that's going on. It, they didn't say that Turkey and... And Iran was there. He told us that. And then it came out that through the Trump administration that they were there even then. But I remember looking to the, the left, there were people with UN uh, patches on their shirt and they were working and they were basically watching everything that was going on with these big micro, not microscopes, telescopes. So even, even back then in 2017, the, they were the United Nations there overseeing everything that was going on so that's that i mean that was just fascinating so you're not going to hear everything on the news there you know there's ministries uh behold israel amir sarfati i I recommend everybody watch him he gives you up-to-date things i mean you can hear the planes above him as he's given he's a messianic jewish person that came to know christ he's an excellent prophecy teacher Uh, so there's people that have their ear to the ground that you can get your information from. And like I said, some of it's good. There's stuff out there that's that's can be considered whack. But, you know, that's where, you, you know, you just kind of sift through it. And the things that are good, you just hold on to. And no, remember, nobody has everything figured out. Just because they get something wrong, don't, tr- you know, throw them to the curb. You know, people are just trying to look at things as they happen. And I, like I told you, I think it's a good thing to look back sometimes. And look back and see what's happened and say, okay, that could be a biblical thing. Or not. So, uh, so anybody have any other questions? No. Miss Tamara, did you? Miss Tamara is going to be doing uh, a study in the Book of Revelation. I highly recommend you be here for that. It's going to be phenomenal. She'll probably tell you it's going to be all right, but she wants to give you some information. Okay, I just wanted to invite everybody. Uh, we'll start next Wednesday with the Book of Revelation, and it is a huge undertaking. Have you ever studied the Book of Revelation? Okay. Well, this is going to be presented by me and the Holy Spirit. And um, whoever is here, you'll get to hear and take part in it. But what basically um, I'm going to attempt uh, with God's help is to present the book of Revelation with very little of my opinion, if any. I'm going to use God's word to tell you what Revelation means as far as he has enlightened us through his word. Um, I know there are a lot of opinions out there. Many, many, many books have been written about the book of Revelation and what all of these things mean. And is it literal? Is it figurative? 
all of that stuff. And I have a very specific point of view that the Lord is very literal in his word. I believe it's literal. I believe most of his word is literal unless he says, this is a sign. In other words, this is not a literal thing. This is a sign or a, a, a picture. But um, anyway, I just wanted to really get before you tonight to ask you one thing. Please pray for me. Um, I teach women's Bible studies. I have for many, many years, but I don't teach men's Bible studies. And I never stand up before men. And so for that particular reason, I would like for you to pray for me. I think men are great. I'm married to a man. Um, I have three sons. And so, um, but it, I do want to do my best, but I do need and covet your prayer. So if you would pray for me, I promise I will come up here. I will not waste your time, but we will be on warp speed. We're going to try to do this in three weeks. I have written it all. I have time to myself teaching it. Y'all, it's going to take me three 90-minute sections. So is your behind hurting right now? Because you've been sitting in it 80 minutes. So I'm going to promise you I'm going to probably keep you 90 minutes next week if you come for Revelation. But we will try to take the first 10 chapters next Wednesday. One thing I do want to say, and I'm going to let you go at this. Because of the way we're going to be teaching this, we are going to read the book of Revelation together in this room. Now, there is a blessing associated with that. I know some of you know the first verse of Revelation is a blessing to you if you read the book, if you hear it read out loud. And it's an awesome thing. So I can promise you, I can assure you, you will be blessed Amen. because it's God that's going to do the blessing. It's his promise. So um, we will be reading and that's what's going to take the time. I want you to understand we'll have to read a passage and then talk about the passage. Read the next part. Talk about We can't just get up here and say there's seven bowls, there's seven trumpets, there's seven of this and that and the other because nobody would get much out of that. So just bear with me and please come. Um, and I, I'll do my best if you'll pray for me. I appreciate it. She's an awesome teacher. Thank you, Regina. She's in my class, but y'all don't listen to her. She hasn't been there, about, she hasn't been there long enough to say that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's close in prayer. If you don't have any other questions. Lord, we just come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, and we thank you for this time in your word. Father, we thank you for clarity. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this earth. We thank you for what you're doing in us. God, continue to open our eyes to see that the harvest is plentiful. And Father, that you can continually use us for your, for your glory and for your kingdom. God, give us fresh understanding of your word. Lord, we thankful, we're thankful for your word and we're thankful for your spirit. And God, we thank you for your truth and everything that you're doing in us, around us, and through us. Father, we soon await your coming, and we welcome you with open arms as your church, as your bride. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 All right. God bless you.